Hello, and welcome to a very, very special holiday episode of Crank Your Commentaries. As always, I am Jake Delmastro, and I am joined by my very good friend, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Hello, Merry Festivus. Merry Festivus as well. Indeed. <laughs> or whatever you happen to celebrate. Yeah, or whatever whatever you happen to celebrate. Uh, today we have a special holiday movie. Um, I guess it's a Christmas movie. It's, although, kind of. Very tenuously. <laughs> There's a lot of debate over that issue, I think. But but I would say that, yes, it is. It is yeah, a Christmas movie. It's a movie. movie that happens at Christmas. And in case you didn't read the title of this episode, we're going to be covering 1988's Die Hard. Hells, yeah. I mean, but it does, it takes place at Christmas, but... Christmas is kind of important to the plot, no? Yeah, kind of. Because, like, I'm just trying to think. I mean, like, for, for starters, the tape that, that, that John McClane tapes uh, the gun to his back with in the final yeah. scene, it's it's a uh, gift-wrapping tape, so... Um, yeah, I mean, the whole setup of the movie, you know, has to revolve around Christmas, right? Yeah, like, but that's... It's just, like... That's the whole reason the terrorists I mean, it, are there. It, yeah, I don't think it. They could have made the movie without that, but I don't. I don't know. I don't think it would have been. Uh, would have wouldn't have been the same. No, no. So I say it is a Christmas movie, but you know, I think that there are varying degrees of like you know, uh, Christmas movies, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely. <laughs> it's silly that we're even having this conversation, but this Christmas is in it. <laughs> Yes, so like it, it's undoubtedly a Christmas movie. Although, I seem to remember hearing at one point that Bruce Willis said that this wasn't a Christmas movie. Yeah, well, who cares what Bruce Willis has to say about that debate? <laughs> Is he really an authority though on on whether or not it's a Christmas? I mean, no, movie? not really. I mean, he's just in it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. He just plays the lead role. Uh, so, shall we get into it then? Yeah, I, I think so. Well, I guess first, do you want to summarize the film? Okay, uh, basically, um, what, uh, New York (laughs) cop John McClane, uh, flies out to L.A. Wait, can you do it? Can you do it in, like, a trailer guy voice? Like, New York cop John McClane. I I don't think I can do that. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, New York cop John McClane, uh, flies out to L.A. for Christmas, to try to reconcile with his estranged wife. Uh, and in doing so, becomes Im- embroiled in a terrorist hostage event, uh, in which case he is also trapped in a building with a bunch of terrorists and has to, I guess, save the day? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's what happens. Does, well, how does it turn out for him? Oh, it turns out fantastically, you know? Yeah, and who are some of the our, our characters? Well, we got uh we got Bruce Willis obviously playing John McClane. Yeah. Uh we have fucking absolute legend Alan Rickman. <laughs> yes. Playing true yes, uh, absolute le- legend. Absolute legend Alan Rickman playing Hans Gruber. Yes, we lost Alan far too soon. 
Yes. Uh, May he rest in peace. Alan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. And his character, are arguably the best character in the film. Very memorable, definitely. And then uh, we have Bonnie Bedelia, is it? Yeah, I think it's Bedelia. Uh, playing Holly McLean. Or Holly Gennaro, uh, depending on you know yeah, depending what on... stage of the movie it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, who is his um, his estranged wife who he's trying to reconcile with? Yeah. Fun fact: Bonnie Bedelia, whose full name is Bonnie Bedelia Culkin, is uh, Macaulay Culkin's aunt. Macaulay Culkin, star of other notable Christmas movies. Yeah, uh, exactly. Home Alone and Home Alone too, actually. But yeah, uh, yeah. Those are definitively less debatable <laughs> yeah those are pretty straight up christmas movies although they could have happened another time of year although anyway yeah, that's a conversation not, for yeah. a different podcast <laughs> that's a different um, conversation that's a different that's next year maybe yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so film came out july 15th 1988 i don't know if we mentioned it was 1988 but it yeah was. i think i think we did but Late eighties, kind of, you know, yeah, uh, sort of riding that wave of eighties action movies. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting. It kind of turned that on on its head a little bit. Um, yeah, just a little bit. Just yeah. a just a little bit. Um, it's a twentieth century Fox film, directed by John McTiernan, um, mm-hmm. who had just recently, fresh off of directing Predator, which came out in nineteen eighty seven. Um. And he also uh, uh, would go on to make The Hunt for Red October later on. Mm-hmm. Also the last action hero. <laughs> so he's got okay, a brand. Okay, so a some bit more Schwarzenegger action there. Yeah, he's got a bit of a brand. Yeah. Um, cool. So I actually didn't know this, but the, the novel's based on a book. Or the novel. The you mean the book? The, 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 sorry, the movie's based. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the movie is based on a novel. Um. <laughs> Yes, so I I had heard this before, um, but mostly in connection to something that we're going to talk about later. Okay, right, okay. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, The book was written by one Roderick Thorpe, um, who, as I understand, was a fairly uh, important, uh, like crime police detective action novelist but i've never actually mm-hmm. read any any of his any of his work right so this this novel was actually a sequel to another novel right yeah <laughs> this was uh so the novel what was it called so the novel was called nothing lasts forever it came out i believe in 1979 yeah 1979 okay. um which is a full 10 years after the first one more than 10 mm-hmm. years. The first one came out in 1966, and that was a novel called The Detective. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious, though. Did the novel take place at Christmas? Yeah, Christmas Eve is the novel. Yeah. Um, so we can t- just talk about the novel briefly. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, hold on. Sorry, this is a, ma- a weird fact that I kind of fell, uh, stumbled upon, which is just fun. Um... So, the book, um, Nothing Lasts Forever, was heavily influenced, perhaps even based, 
um, on a 1974 film called The Towering Inferno, starring Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. I've, I've heard of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, The Towering Inferno, in turn, is based on two books. <laughs> yeah, 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 because, okay, so they were going to make a movie about a building on fire, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they were going to have, uh, the, the, but then they made, there were two different movies going into production that had similar themes. Right. So they decided to just put them together and make one big movie so that they wouldn't be competing at the box office. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, so it's two separate books based on buildings on fire being merged into one movie. That's so weird. I wonder if stuff happens like that anymore. <laughs> and, and, and so who are the two stars? Because they were each going to star in their own movie, right? In The Towering Inferno, starring Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. That's so hilarious. They yeah, are so they were separately... both each separately going to make a movie about a building on fire. That's amazing. That's a great fact. And then they... <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. They didn't want them to compete in the box office, so they merged the two movies and put the two stars yeah, no, you, both you... in this one big movie. Double your draw. Exactly. But that's a fun little irrelevant fact. Um. <laughs> Wait, so but this, you said the book that Die Hard is based on is based on the Towering Inferno. So, so the movie Die Hard is based on the book uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, which is based on the movie The Towering Inferno, which is based on the two books, The Tower and The Glass Inferno, which I presume are the two movies also that were being... Uh... Right, okay. Um, so, I, there's no... The building's not on fire, though, in this movie. The building, there's fire. Well, except at the very end. Yeah. There's a little bit of fire. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of fire. I mean, I don't think... It really carries between projects, the like plot or anything. Right, okay. I think just the idea right, of right. drama in a in a skyscraper. I see. Is okay. the idea that carries carries between them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the the first book, um, the, the 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 not prequel. What do you call it? What's there must be a word for that? Like when you're talking about a sequel, but then you reference the first one. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, the the first one, the, the, the primary, the original. The original? Uh, yeah. Anyway, the book. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the preceding book. Um. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a name for it, but uh. Yeah. Yeah, I think you just say the previous one or the original. Yeah, or... it works. Um. It was uh, it was a, a book called The Detective, which mm -hmm. I think this is what you were hinting at earlier. Um, yes, this is this is how I I learned about it. Yeah, so that got made into a movie, right? Yeah, uh, nineteen sixty-eight. That got made into a movie uh, with a pretty and who was starring in that movie? Pretty big name. Um, <laughs> old Blue Eyes himself. That's what it is, right? Old, old right, Blue so, Eyes. So Frank Frank Sinatra was the star of this film. Yeah, nineteen sixty-eight. That would interesting film. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I I don't think I've seen it either. I don't know. I've not. I've only seen a couple of films that Frank Sinatra was in, but he was in a lot of films, wasn't he? Like yeah. Elvis. He's 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 well. He's um. I would say that Frank Sinatra is probably a better actor than Elvis. Yeah. But uh, 
you know, he has like widely varying in terms of like the quality of film that Frank Sinatra is. Right. In. Whereas all of Elvis Like Frank Sinatra has bad. been in some excellent movies, but I would say on on the whole most of them were not good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what were we saying? So, so the reason why this is relevant, yes, is because there was some kind of contractual contractual obligation having to do with the film rights to the book. Yeah, that both of these two movies were based on. Yeah, I think I think essentially what it comes down to is 20th Century Fox just owned the rights to all of these projects, including that 1968. Uh-huh. Frank Sinatra film um, right so how it works out I guess is that um, Frank Sinatra was contractually uh, um, entitled to be in any sequels mm-hmm. um, or like first first call for like if they made sequels or whatever whatever it's called um, so so they they were obligated to offer him the role because I guess technically this is a sequel because it's based yeah. on a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's based on the sequel to the book. Yeah. So he would have to be offered the first right of refusal, I guess. Yes. Is that what you call it? Yeah, exactly. Right of refusal. That's what the word or the phrase I was trying to find. So yeah, so in, yeah. in nineteen eighty seven, I think when they were producing this film, they had to call up like what, seventy a year old Frank Sinatra and ask him if he wanted yeah and ask if he wanted to do the sequel he's like do you want to be John McClane <laughs> imagine so naturally he turned it down right oh yeah I'm sure he thought about yeah, it hard I, I think he was pretty much pretty much wrapped up his acting career at that point yeah no there's no way he was gonna, ever gonna do that but but yeah, imagine it's like what you want me to do what stunt yeah like... <laughs> do you think he would have worn the uh, the undershirt Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. 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 So, anyway, uh, to bring it back to, to Die Hard a little bit more, um, there's some significant differences between, uh, well, actually not that many significant differences, but there are some significant differences between the uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, the book, and Die Hard, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I scanned over it just trying to find some some differences. So I haven't read it. So there's probably a lot more uh, that's different <laughs> in the book. But yeah, probably. But what I noticed was that the fact that McLean's daughter is like older and she's like in the building. Um, right. So I, okay. I think maybe the, like the story might be more like he's estranged from his family, and he's like he's right. like trying to like it's his whole family that's at the party. I'm not exactly sure about that. I'm just speculating. Right. But, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I I feel like that would have gotten in the way of some of the themes in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Had they had that in there, yeah. exactly. Like they changed. They definitely like kind of simplified some of the the arcs a little bit. Like in the book, I believe it took it happened over three days. Um, right. I mean, part of that is just you know to make something into a two hour movie. Like it doesn't always make sense to include everything else in the book. Right? Yeah, of course. And, but even like pacing wise for, for a movie like this, it just was like, it would slow you down too much. I think if it took three days for that to happen. Yeah. Especially like how tightly paced this movie is. Yeah. And which we'll get to, but that's like one of the best parts of this movie. It's like, so, so, um, so suspenseful. 
in so many yeah, scenes. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 and even like, um, you know, through all the research and stuff, and like, you know how all the stunts are done, but you're still like suspenseful, like uh, full of suspense when he makes that like elevator shaft jump. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That whole scene, though, like, didn't necessarily make a ton of sense to me. No, go on. No, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. Just like, it seemed like it was just kind of like that. Is actually, we're talking about the scene where he's like, kind of like using his belt or whatever, or the the gun. Yeah, right? yeah, he has yeah. A gun. It's the strap from the gun. It looks like. Yeah, and so he's trying to crawl down. the The gun strap like does not look nearly long enough. No, but he's it's all he's got. Yeah, and he's just gonna leave the gun at the top. Well, it's it's his only option, man. I guess he's yeah. got to get out of there. He's trapped in a corner. They're gonna come just shoot him. I guess. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Uh, Carl. But remember, Hans told Carl to just leave him. Yeah. I guess it wouldn't have made a difference. But, but Carl's on a Carl's Carl has a vendetta, man. Yeah, Carl has because he killed his brother. Yeah, exactly. Um. Carl, who was played by who? What was the guy's name? Um, jeez, oh, I wrote this down. Uh, Alexander Gudinov, a uh, Russian ballet dancer. Yes, and you could tell from his the fighting choreography that he's very uh, uh, light on his feet. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Excellent footwork. Indeed. Um, <laughs> also, Carl is the real diehard in this movie. Yeah, Carl is like. <laughs> Carl's so sad. Like, how many times do they like basically kill Carl and he just comes back? Yeah, he just like keeps like he's so. He's the uh, energy behind the terrorist organization. Exactly, you know, um, fucking Hans is the brains. Yeah, uh, Carl's the, the heart. Carl is Carl. Carl's the heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the most. Most significant difference between the book and the movie, I think, is McLean's daughter older in the building, but ultimately she actually falls to her death with Gruber, who in the book is named Anton Gruber. Oh. Much worse. Hmm. Uh, I wonder why they changed the name to Hans instead of Anton. But then the other the other thing that... uh um that the scriptwriters did was they kind of changed the narrative of the terrorists. Like in the book, it's a lot more politically motivated. Um, and it's like, they've mm. actually got like an ideal ideology. Um, whereas mm. obviously, of course in the movie, they're mostly just after the cold, hard cash. They, they want the, they want the bearer bonds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, what you call it? Uh, what were they called? They, they were bare bones, but they were specifically something about them. I don't remember. Anyway, I don't. I, I never I don't remember know. details like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my <laughs> not my forte. <laughs> anyway, so they're bare bones. But anyway, um, I actually really like this. Th- this yeah, change. no, totally agree. That they that they made him just like you know, just in it for the money because like, I I think that really says a lot about Hans's character. Yeah. And, and like, how much of a, I don't know, like a puzzler he is. <laughs> yeah. And like the fact that I forgot what the organization he was in was called um, because I don't remember those details. But um, but the fact uh, that... Vokes Prime, I believe. Right. But the fact that he was like kicked out of it and stuff and it was like... Yeah. I don't know. They, <laughs> they have like an ideology. He just wants... He was in like a real terrorist organization, but he wasn't terroristy enough. So exactly. they kicked him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and yeah, like all that thing where he's talking about like suits and shit, and he's like, you know, John Phillips, I have three myself. Yeah, exactly. Like it just it just makes him seem like you know, this guy's clearly not a fucking terrorist. Totally, totally. And um, <laughs> we'll talk about it a bit more in, in a second. But his uh, the that was kind of the focus of the second scriptwriter. Um, was mm. kind of fleshing out his character. Okay. But yeah, that the 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 fir- I think it was the first writer, um, who I'll talk about in just one second. He like shifted. He's the one who kind of shifted the narrative. I think from like full on terrorists okay. to like more quote unquote terrorists who just like are using that. Well, they're 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 bank robbers essentially. Yeah, who are using like yeah, the ter- quote unquote terrorists. Uh, yeah, like they're using that as a guise for their whole. Uh, thing yeah exactly and, and just like his like throwaway statement about how he read about that last one in time magazine oh yeah there's something yeah gone. actually before we move on to that uh that thing i just noticed the bit where uh where he was talking listing all the people he wanted freed and, and he mentions liberté de quebec <laughs> i remember that that was so good <laughs> which i just laughed my ass off at, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> like i don't know are I, I guess they were trying to like reference the FLQ without actually like using that name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I was talking about the script writers. It was written in kind of two chunks. Um, okay. The f- first chunk was well, the whole movie was kind of put into like the whole situation was put into motion by uh, the first s- script writer, a guy named Jeb Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. who at this point was pretty much unknown. Um, he had some like Disney contracts he was working on, but uh, he would go on to write stuff like he wrote he co-wrote the Fugitive. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Some other that stuff was after con- this though. Yeah, yeah, that was nineteen ninety three, the yeah. Fugitive. Um, okay. but anyway, at this point in his career, he needed some money badly, so he like. Essentially, long story short, his agent sets him up with, um, like, just this project, 20th Century Fox, is like, oh, here's, uh, we've got this book that we've got the rights to, why don't you try writing a script on it? Basically, right? right. So they just okay. threw so it So I, I suppose there's, there's no expectation necessarily that this turn, gets turned into a movie, this is just like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we have this thing, why don't you, why don't you give it a shot? Exactly. They just kind of threw him a bone. And were like, Right. So this is kind of getting at what I was saying about, like, this kind of surprised me at how much of a sort of a ragtag operation this seemed like. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it kind of slipped under the radar. And then... Yeah, like, it, it kind of just got thrown together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not to say that it was, like, haphazardly thrown together, but, like, it just, you know... Yeah. No, it was exactly... It was... Like, like nobody seemed to have, like, a lot of will to make this happen. It just kind of rolled along until it, like, eventually, oh, I guess we're making a movie now. Let's, uh... yeah, exactly. <laughs> the motivation was just Jeb Stewart was not making enough money at Disney. So he was like, I need another yeah. job. Yeah, exactly. Give me anything. Right. So he's got this, this book that he's going to try to adapt into a screenplay, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he writes it up into a script. Uh, Fox likes it well enough. They greenlight the project. Um, oh, so the, they're just off the script. They're totally like, okay, let's go ahead and turn this into a film, or or let's do more sort of uh, 
Yeah, no, you know, the, yeah, I think I think rewrites. they had a meeting okay, and yeah. they were like, keep working with it. Like, I, I like I think essentially mm-hmm. that like they started kind of putting the project together. Um, right. At that point, so yeah, I think I think basically his script was that compelling. Okay. That uh, Fox was like, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say this. But they had a lot of trouble <laughs> casting anybody, so maybe that's for that reason that they didn't have any like any big names like you say attached they didn't have anybody like no producer was really gunning this movie you know exactly yeah at yeah. this point at least right um so but it's also like you know it doesn't seem like this movie had a huge budget either i'm not really sure at this point what the budget was it ended up right. being approximately 30 million yeah which you know is not that huge no for for kind of the scope of the movie of an action yeah. movie with that many effects yeah. you kind of expect later on we'll get into sort of where they save money <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah so the list of actors that they asked and turned it down is quite impressive um yeah apparently they asked arnold schwarzenegger uh mm-hmm. sylvester stallone Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, <laughs> Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, and James Caan. Okay. Imagine if Paul Paul Newman had been in it. That would be some weird shit, man. I don't know. I could see it, you know. I don't know if I could see James Caan, though. No, but because Paul N- Newman, w- yeah, James Caan would be weird, but Paul Newman was in The Towering Inferno. Yeah, I know. That's funny. <laughs> He's so weird. <laughs> he was also started to die hard. Um, that's, that's a good point, yeah. But yeah, so they but they ended up casting uh, a little known, well, not little known, he's known, but he's not a, a film actor at yeah. all. He's a television actor. Um, from the show Moonlighting, which I've never seen a single episode of. I've actually never seen Moonlighting either. What's it about? I have no idea. All I know is it's the show that Bruce Willis was in before he became like a... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Let's see. Moonlighting. It's it's just like the... um, Like, I'm just reading the Wikipedia... first paragraph here and nowhere does it say what the show is actually about (laughs) (laughs) okay so the plot okay so the plot revolves around cases investigated by the blue moon detective agency okay what what, Uh, what did it run from 1985 to 1989 okay so it was ended shortly after die hard came out i guess right it was in its second season when he was cast then i guess right okay um yeah, people, apparently his, like, I was reading that people's, like, opinion of Bruce Willis at this time was, like, pretty low. Um, yeah, I kind of noticed this, too. Like, I thought it was odd, like, seeing, like, how people thought of Bruce Willis, like, very differently. Yeah. Because I guess this movie really defined Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think if you say Bruce Willis's name, this is the movie that everybody thinks of. This is the first movie that comes to mind, yeah, ex- right? Exactly. like... Like yeah, or just the whole Die Hard series. In at least the franchise, if not this. Yeah. Movie. Exactly. I haven't seen all the movies in the franchise. Speaking of, actually, have I have not seen all of them. I've seen like all of them, but you know, I think I've seen the first three. Yeah. There's what four or five. 
Something. I have no fucking yeah, clue. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, apparently, so this is kind of a huge deal. When Bruce Willis was cast, um, the news broke that he was being paid $5 million. Um, yeah. Which might not sound like a lot for actors nowadays. Well, that's one third of what, uh, of what uh, fucking, what's his name got from Moneyball? Uh Oh yeah, Brad yeah, yeah, Brad Pitt exactly one third of what he got from Moneyball. Um, yeah, but at the, that's ridiculous. Um, but at the time, you know. Uh, yeah, no, that seems like it was a lot of money. Like, especially for a guy who'd never been or had was. Is this the first? Movie I think he'd or is been this... in like one film that came out just before it. This is his first leading role in a film. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess maybe it was just because it's like you know. They offered all these people, all this, this, the, all, uh, all these different people the role, and nobody would take it. Yeah, and they're just kind of like, you know what? Fuck these people. They're gonna hear this news. Maybe, maybe it was just like, you know, like, oh my god, this guy's our last fucking like. Yeah, please do. Like, it. if if we can't get him to sign on, like, you know, we're done. Yeah, seriously. Like, I just listed like, like e- this is our last option. I just listed <laughs> every '80s action star <laughs> that there is. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like they asked yeah. all of them. Like who did I miss? Yeah, exactly. Who could they? They could have asked Steven Seagal. <laughs> Steven Seagal, yeah. Uh, who is that other one? Uh, Van Dam. Oh, Jean Claude Van Dam. Oh, that would have been strange. He would have had an accent the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So that he's he's definitely more likely to be cast as one of the terrorists. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, people thought. Bruce Willis was arrogant, I guess. At least that's what Wikipedia said. <laughs> right, okay. I didn't... I mean, yeah, I don't know. But definitely he didn't have the kind of clout that he had after this movie. Yeah, exactly. People did not really like him. But yeah, the five million really pissed some people off because like, generally lead roles were like two to three million dollars unless you were like, you know, right. the, the biggest star in the game. Who I don't really know. Yeah. Also, this is this is five million dollars, and the budget is only thirty. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like that's a big chunk. Yeah. Um. So Alan Rickman. Uh, yeah. Okay. He was cast. So in absolute it. legend, Alan Rickman. Absolute legend. One of I just he love also. Uh, this is his first role in a. Oh, uh, this is 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 this his first film role? Entirely? This is his first film role, yeah. Yeah, obviously though he'd been in theater and in, on the BBC a lot. Yeah, he was a, he was already a Tony Award winning actor, um, mm-hmm. and he was in yeah exactly he was on the BB, a BBC Shakespeare stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was great in this movie. He was dude, just I don't know. He's he's fantastic um, in this movie. Absolutely, he brings so much depth to that character. Like, well, he is that character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but I mean, there is like the script is really good, and as you mentioned, just like the note, the mentionings that like talking about the suits and stuff like that. Oh, that's the script and stuff. But but just I don't know, like the and yeah, the delivery. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of what makes the depth noticeable. <laughs> Yeah. So, although I will I will concede though that like, you know, while I'm no expert on accents. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> I don't think this is particularly accurate. I've always operated under the assumption that he's doing a 
he's not doing a specific accent. He's doing a undisclosed European accent. But is he supposed to right, be German, right? Right, but I mean, right? it's it's, suppo- it's supposed to be a German accent. No, right. Like, it's pretty clearly oh. supposed to be a German accent. It's not good. It's not <laughs> no. good. Do you have a soundbite that's appropriate? Don't point that <laughs> thing at me! Yeah, it might be the worst accent. Are there be. any other accents in this movie, though? Because the other terrorists don't really talk that much. Oh, there, there was the some of the some of them talk a little bit. Yeah, some of them talk a little bit. That one guy does an American accent that's pretty good, or maybe he's doing a German accent. Either way, which guy? The guy who's uh, the desk. Oh, guard. Alexander Gudinov. Is that him? Who? The, which guy? The the guy who's sitting at the desk. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I think the actor's American. Right, but then his German accent was convincing. Either way. Yeah. Well, I don't know. My favorite part with the accents, though, is when... Um, uh, what when uh, Alan Rickman is doing Hans doing an American accent. Oh, yeah, that is great. Like, that's, that's such good it's acting. Like, it's, it's Alan Rickman's interpretation of... So that's a, that's a British a man. A German... He's doing... It's a British man doing a German accent doing an American accent. <laughs> it's he's like stacking accents. It's awesome, and I mean like the it's and like his American accent that he does is like it's like way over the top. Yeah. Too like it's like really nasally and like yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I got, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm what, what did he say his name was? Uh, something Clay. Bill Clay. Bill Clay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I am do not know how to use this thing. That's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, really I've never scene. seen one of these before. I paint yeah. once, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um so at this point they bring on um another screenwriter. But I'm not exactly sure why they did it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Maybe they just wanted to like, you know, get. They wanted, they they wanted to write more of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like Sorkin, or exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, here. Yeah. It's it, well. It says here that he had prior experience blending action and comedy. Right. Okay. But. So I don't know if there was that much comedy in this movie, though. No, not really. Like, like there is almost some, not at all. Like I wouldn't call yeah. even the comedy "quote unquote" that there is like comedy. There's some throwaway jokes. Yeah, well, I mean, but there's not really any comedic I guess scenarios. There's the, the Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> there's Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson. No I guess relation. That's, that's a joke. Agent Johnson. Sorry, no relation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's again more of a throwaway. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm just looking, trying to look at this uh, D'Souza's career here. His first f- mm-hmm. first uh, film was writing, directing, and producing the low-budget stoner comedy Arnold's Wrecking Company, which is a 1973 stoner comedy. Okay. Uh, Arnold Berman is a klutz. Just ask his cousin Kenny, who has to put up with him over summer vacation from college. Arnold has to be seen to be believed. An uptight, unreal, super straight business major who's a whiz at accounting. And I think you can see where this is going. Yeah, I, I think I get it. 
But yeah, so they hire this guy to do some rewrites. And as I said earlier, I think he says that his like the role that he took on was kind of like rewriting it as if uh, Hans Gruber was the protagonist almost. Or not the protagonist, but like okay. the main character. So I, mm-hmm. I think this is kind of where his character gets flushed out. Uh-huh. Is this exactly. this rewrite? They like really put some... Like he has more depth than John McClane, really. To be honest, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. Although I don't know, John McClane's character is all pretty upfront. You know what I mean? Yeah, depth might be the wrong yeah. word because he's not. It's not as if Hans Gruber's deep. He just wants that money, but like, yeah, he just he's just he's just after the the Barabans. Yeah, like he just <laughs> wants to chill on a beach. <laughs> exactly, chill on a beach. Fucking earning interest on those barrel bonds. Yeah. So maybe deep's not the word I'm looking for, but like dynamic, interesting. Like maybe that's what I'm looking yeah. for. And I think that's probably like maybe a better actor than Bruce Willis would have uh, given that to. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously Alan Rickman's a fantastic actor. So I mean, like. Yeah, exactly. You know. So the the guy who added, who did the, the rewrite, uh, he also worked on Commando. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, which yeah. Commando I haven't seen in years there's some parallels yeah Sorry? I haven't seen it in years but okay what are the parallels that's the one where Arnold Schwarzenegger has to go like rescue his daughter right yeah I think so or, well I mean that's not that's not a very good explanation because I'm sure there's more than one movie where he has to do that no but <laughs> yeah no I know what, the one you're talking about I remember the final scene yeah, very clearly where she gets like kidnapped by Sorry? I remember the final scene. And, and then he, he, he's got to kill the kidnappers all one by one. Yeah. Because uh, they all used to be part of the same like military outfit or something like that. They were all commandos, right? Right. And I just remember the one scene where uh, he's holding the guy over the uh, over the the ravine or whatever, and he's like, uh, you remember, silly, when I said I was going to kill you last? I lied. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that one-liner is just the best. That is so sick. Because earlier in the movie, he was like, you know, um, I'm going to kill you last or something like that. <laughs> that is pretty fucking sick line. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he just drops him in the ravine. I think that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely... Uh, pretty classic 80s action movie yeah yeah well that's like one of the defining ones really right in the middle 1985 yeah which reminds me i forgot to mention that like the opening scene of this movie is like very similar to the opening scene of top gun it you well what with the plane landing it's like a plane with, landing uh, sort of like with like the orange filter the yeah yeah with the sun yeah, coming it's... from like the same direction yeah, definitely. Some similarities there. Although, di- different kind of plane, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally different kind of plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, no Kenny. No Kenny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kenny Loggins. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Kenny yeah, fucking yeah. Loggins. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> the, the music is not comparable. Yeah. So now we get the director involved. I'm not exactly sure how they hired him, but... John McTiernan? John McTiernan, uh... I, so we covered a little bit about casting. Uh, is there anything else we need to touch there? 
I think they cast uh, uh, Bedelia because Bruce Willis suggested it because he liked a movie she was in, but that's kind of the extent of it. Okay. I don't really remember. Uh, her hairstyle is so bad in this movie. Like, I know <laughs> it's very eighties. Yeah, I know the eighties hair is like it's uh, being bad is like a, a trope nowadays. Yeah, but like oh boy, like I don't know. It makes her look like she just got like an electric shock, like a really big one, in like a f- yeah. like forties cartoon. Mm. <laughs> it's not good, and it just like looks really th- like thin on the top, and I don't know. It just like it's it really bothers me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It it doesn't it didn't quite stand out enough to me uh to really grind my gears, but these I things guess it's don't there. normally it, bother me, but her <laughs> hair really like every time I saw it I was like, "Ah, oh, it's really bad. It's really bad." Yeah. Um So, should we talk a bit about Nakatomi Building? Yeah, so we should talk about yeah, the uh Nakatomi Plaza. The sets or or lack thereof. Yes. Uh, so we mentioned earlier that this movie was, uh, that 20th Century Fox was involved in this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, the, um, so one of the places that they, I guess, saved money in this movie, uh, after they gave $5 million to, uh, Bruce Willis... (laughs) Was that they didn't really build any sets. Um, They decided that they would film the whole thing, or very nearly the whole thing, uh, in this building, uh, which was the Fox Plaza in L.A., um, which I believe was owned by 20th Century Fox, or... I think so. I get, yeah, anyway... Yeah, I assumed so. I didn't actually look into it. Though, I, I assumed that that was the case. I yeah, I don't know. Was I know like like Fox is like a huge company. Like it's like several different companies at this point. Yeah, exactly. It's not just gonna be. It's not just 20th Century Fox. Yeah, or like um, it couldn't be contained like, in one building. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm just quickly reading. It is owned by the Orange County-based Irvine Company, LLC. Who is the Irvine Company? Yeah. Well, it was in four Fox films. Yeah. Okay, so it appears that that it was the the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. There we go. Makes sense. Confirmed. Anyway, yes, it was... uh, It it was... the building may or may not have been owned by Fox, but they were definitely headquartered there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Or at least they were about to be because the building was actually currently under construction, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, they had actually planned this from very early on in the production that they were going to shoot it there. Uh, Jeb Stewart like went and like toured the... toured the... the 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 f- all the floors and stuff to like get ideas and stuff didn't he mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's interesting that that it was actually that the actual layout of the building uh, because I believe Jeb Stewart actually had um, access to the blueprints to the building oh, that's awesome. while he was writing um, the actual layout of the building was written into the script kind of so that's kind of cool that is pretty cool um, 
but yeah, so, uh, once again, like, so all the shit that was there, like, they didn't have to build any of those sets. That's just what the building was like. Yeah. So it's like, um, it's pretty photogenic building. Yeah, all that shit that was under construction, like that's not a set. Like people didn't put those saws there, like or whatever, or all those like those were just there because the workers were doing, were working on it, right? <laughs> so it's like um, they just kind of so, and it wasn't it wasn't pure luck or anything that this was like this. It they planned it from the yeah, very and they beginning, like timed it so that they like, wouldn't have to yeah do all that so that like, they wouldn't have to spend uh, money on sets. Excellent way to save budget. Yeah, and so they they were allowed to use the film the the building to film on two conditions. One of them was that uh, there would be no filming during the day, and you know the whole movie takes place at night, so, so that's there's fine. no yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so that written into the script. <laughs> and the other condition was that none of the explosions would cause any damage to the building. That can be arranged, although it looked yeah, like I'm not they sure may how have you... failed at that. Oh, I don't know how they. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what they did. Although the um, they they used one miniature shot, and that is when the roof blows up. Figured, yeah, I figured that wasn't. So that's not the actual Fox Plaza. That's all. they didn't actually blow up the roof for Fox Plaza. Huh? Yeah, exactly. That would have been probably got them in a lot of trouble. I did read somewhere that they like knocked a railing over somewhere that they didn't replace. So they get mad at the crew or something for that? Maybe, maybe. But that's all I read about it. But the building is like super interesting and like super great for this film. It's like seems like as you said, like written into the script and stuff. It's like so serendipitous that this building is part of this film. But it's not even serendipity because they planned it for the beginning. No, you're right, exactly. It's not serendipity. But but like the building itself if like it's so perfect for some of these establishing shots. Um, yeah, and also I should mention, so it's like, yeah, so oftentimes when they make a movie or something, they use external exterior shots or whatever, right? Yeah. Oftentimes that's completely in a different place than they shoot the interior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it's a great way to make you think you're somewhere that you're not. Exactly. So, But in this movie, the interiors are the same building that the exteriors are. Yeah, that's a great... Like, and so when they point out the window... Um, you know they're actually pointing at stuff. They're pointing at the exterior of the actual building, so that there's a lot of shots that they can do that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Yeah, well, except um, one of the floors was um was a set, if I'm not mistaken. I was reading that. Which one? I don't remember. It's like 33 or something. Oh yeah. I don't remember exactly the details, but what I do remember that was super interesting is that they like they the like what was outside was like a matte painting with like oh. lighting uh tech and stuff on it to like mimic like cars and like stuff happening oh really super interesting right so i'm specifically thinking of like the shot where like he <laughs> throws the, the guy onto al's car yeah yeah i think that was the real yeah like let me just see if i can figure out which Tell you which floor it was. So did they actually drop a dummy from the building? <laughs> I guess they must. Have. They must have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably they didn't drop an actor. No. Although they may have dropped it, like for, like there may have been like a a, a bag at the bottom. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
There you go. A 380-foot-long uh, matte painting was provided the city backdrop as viewed from inside the building's 30th floor. That's pretty interesting. It featured animated lights and other lighting techniques to present. Why did Why did they do that? Why didn't they just shoot out the window? Because I'm sure you could have seen actual LA. Well, yeah, next time I watch it, 30th floor, everybody remember, next time you're watching it, make note of yeah. when he's on the 30th floor what you're seeing at the window. So yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting that uh in a lot of the scenes that they show, you see actual LA traffic and actual LA things going on. Yeah, and it just works for the tone that you can show like this building just like standing all alone in the skyline from like varying distances, you know? Like you can show it yeah, from, exactly. from the McLean household and you can show it like as he's approaching it. It just like was yeah. a so really great tonal device to like be like show was that. there not a lot in that part of la at the time yeah i guess not i guess not okay yeah um so when they i don't think it was the actual first day of of shooting because for a while um bruce willis was still working on moonlighting so right so he would do that during the day and then for a week he would do that during the day and then show up and all night he would film uh, really? Die Hard. So he was working like like full days. That would have been brutal. Yeah. So they like they gave him like a vacation after he was doing that for like a week because they were like, oh no, we're going to kill Bruce Willis. Yeah, we're going to wear out Bruce Willis because he's doing too many stunts. Yeah. So did he do his own stunts mostly? Mostly, no? yeah. He he wanted to do, like, I think he, he did the easier parts of most of the stunts. Like, um... So okay, so you mentioned the fire hose scene. Yeah, that well, that was his first day of shooting. Was that jumping off the roof of the building with a fire hose tied around him? Yeah, that's a pretty intense stunt. When the jump is Bruce Willis, so he actually did jump, right. but the, like dangling. What there, did he jump onto? I think there was like um, some sort of like an airbag, airbag or something. But I think the like actual dangling there from like the long shot, I think that was a stunt guy. Okay. So the jump Bruce dangle stunt guy. Okay. But also like oh yeah, the elevator shaft scene. That was an interesting little factoid. Um that was a that was a stunt guy. Um and the shot that they used, if you remember in the stunt scene or in the elevator scene, he jumps. Mm-hmm. And he like misses the duct and falls to the next one. Mm. Um, so in the actual in the in the filming, the stuntman actually just missed it, like he was supposed to. Oh, so that's like a real <laughs> fuck up. So that probably really hurt. Oh, that would have been incredibly scary. Yeah, yeah. Presumably, you know, they didn't have like the full shaft. Presumably, the whole or elevator shaft. Like that. it wasn't like a full elevator shaft, was it? Because that would have been so dangerous. No, of course not. No, no. I'm sure yeah. there was just a, a blue scr- a blue like airbag at the bottom. Yeah, and it exactly. was only like you know, it, well, it probably wasn't far, but I just mean like him hitting the wall and like sliding down. It probably hurt. Yeah, but also just the, I I would just be so afraid for that split second in my head before I grasp the second one. Oh well, no, he didn't grasp the second one. Oh, like, okay. Like the shot was. Oh, they just cut it. That... They just thought it looked cool, so like they thought it was like a cool add-on. I they think. just like they left it in. Yeah, 
So it, like it, it yeah. made through movie magic, editing magic. They made it look like he caught it, but really, right? He just fell. Really, he just fucked up and slammed. Right? Okay, I see. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. He just fell. <laughs> okay. Um. So, but that wasn't the only falling stunt that occurred in the movie. Do you want to talk about the other more yeah. famous falling stunt? Yeah, so I actually, I always wondered how this shot was done uh, when I'd watched this movie prior to recording this. Uh, and that is the the scene with the death of Hans, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, this is a scene that, like, I always thought, like, okay, so this definitely isn't a stuntman because you can see his face the entire time. Yeah. So this is where he's like falling backwards out of a window. Yeah, in and slow all the bear motion. Bonds are like, you know, flying out and for, but beside him, right? Yeah. And so, uh, I was thinking, how do you make him look like he's falling without dropping fucking Alan Rickman down a lot of feet? Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. You have to drop Alan Rickman. It's the only way. And so that's what they. That's exactly what they did. So they <laughs> dropped. Alan Rickman. <laughs> so this is, is another weird thing. It's like I don't know exactly how far they dropped him because this information is actually recorded to an accurate degree. Yeah, yeah. People just talked about to, it to a precise degree. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so he was dropped somewhere between twenty and seventy feet. Oh my god! Which is a massive, big difference between the two. That's a fifty foot range. That's like a three story range. <laughs> yeah. So like, I think a twenty foot range would be nuts i mean you know i feel like i feel like i could do a 20 foot drop they're they're dropping him onto a, an airbag yeah they're not just way. dropping him yeah yeah of course yes. but he was being dropped down onto a blue airbag yeah. so that they could put in the background uh using uh chrome whatever on chroma key, chroma key yeah. although it's not chroma key oh that's uh, the green chroma one key is actually no no interesting chroma key is actually when you do it on television interesting Whereas we do it on film, it's just uh, compositing. Why? Because cro- uh, it's a very boring technical explanation. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Give me the give me the synopsis. Essentially, chroma key is one you just. Um, it's an analog video processing technique where essentially you pick. Uh, one color in the chroma signal of the TV signal. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And you replace it with something else. Right. Whereas uh, it's a photographic process when they do it on film. It's not electronic. Right. Right. They just like, it's, right. Gotcha. So, yeah. So they dropped it onto a blue airbag so that they could composite the background underneath him i imagine alan rickman was not too excited about doing that no yeah so i mean if you told me i had to drop somewhere between 20 <laughs> to 70 feet i would generally be a little hesitant to do it yeah, especially but, if they phrased uh, it that vaguely uh he was he was uh he was he was convinced uh because mctiernan the director decided to demonstrate the stunt himself by falling onto a pile of cardboard boxes, which doesn't seem incredibly safe. No, I don't understand. I it. hope he was supervised. 
Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? How does he demonstrate that himself? Falling onto corporate boxes? Do you just like jump backwards off a? I guess. Like corporate boxes, like that's that's like old school stunt shit. Like Jack, that's the Jackie Chan method, right? Yeah. Using cardboard boxes <laughs> to break your fall. Yeah. Also, Jackie Chan got hurt a lot. Yeah, he got hurt a lot <laughs> falling onto <laughs> cardboard boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so I guess because McTiernan survived, uh... His box ordeal. His box ordeal, I guess Brookman decided to do it. So, but I want to point out, because you're falling backwards, this is actually a really, really dangerous stunt, because this is something even professional stuntmen avoid doing. Um, it's because, like, controlling your fall and breaking your fall backwards... That's like... And like controlling your really fall, that's, to do. that's the key to stunt work, right? It's not about like making anything yeah, look exactly. like anything. It's like it's about knowing how to manage your body weight in motion. Exactly. Right? So that, that that's a very thing, but very hard thing to do when you're lying backwards. Also, you can't see the thing you're falling on. Exactly. Onto. You don't know when you're gonna hit it, so you don't know how to like stiffen or loosen. I don't know how you do it. I'm just speculating, obviously. But you know, I mean, I guess if I I, I guess the advice would just be like. If you're falling onto like a into an airbag, just like go limp, I guess. Yeah, yeah, don't stiffen up. But you will yeah, um, know when. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So, but the interesting thing about this particular stunt is that so they got Alan Rickman up there, and they're gonna they're gonna drop him. So they tell him, "Okay, we're gonna drop you on three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but then, uh. Without telling Alan Rickman, they decide to let him go before three. Like a fucking county fair, like uh, yeah, carnival. It's like, ride yo, bro, we're, gonna, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna count to three. Trust, trust. Yeah. Yo, yo, wouldn't it be funny if we let him go before three? Yeah, I think it'd be hilarious. Yeah, they're gonna be so afraid. <laughs> and, and so, allegedly, this was to get the reaction. On on his face. Yeah, well, they sure fucking did that. And I mean, it, that really worked because he does look sh- truly terrified. Yeah, he does. It's a genuine. It's a genuine reaction. Like it's a genuine reaction. He didn't know that they were gonna let him go, and he's falling backwards onto this thing, which is between twenty and seventy feet, feet underneath him. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe that's why the range is so vague. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like I don't know when I'm gonna hit this thing. I'm terrified. And and so they were also firing confetti cannons to to make um, you know uh, the bearer bonds behind him falling as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, but that's... So yeah, that's, that's that's a fantastic shot. But like, just uh, convincing an actor. Oh yeah, and I also want to point out that after that, they convinced him to do it again. That's right, because they did two takes. They did two takes. They did use the first take, but yeah, because I don't think he was, I I don't think he would have been surprised after the second. Yeah, one. he was expecting it on the whole count. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know they're gonna drop it. I know they're gonna drop it. Here it comes. 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 Okay. Here it comes. So, um, so but besides convincing Alan Rickman to jump to what would appear to be certain death. Yeah, exactly. Backwards. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't necessarily the most challenging part of making this shot. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so, one of the problems is uh is is uh because he's falling like 
people generally fall pretty quickly. Yeah, that's like, true, you know, yeah. When you're uh, trying to film somebody, you generally want to keep them in focus, and there's a fixed sort of range of focus that is can be in focus at any given time. Autofocus has, like, kind of uh, um, numbed a lot of people to the concept that, like, manual focus is, like... A thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, an, an art. Yeah, but uh, although I, I will note to this day that pretty much every film uses manual focus. Yeah, yeah autofocus yeah. auto is essentially not used for cinema. Yeah, and I'm talking about... I'm not talking about, like... Yes. Filmmakers, yeah. I'm talking about. But yeah, a lot of people... Yeah, it's it's not something that people often think about unless you're trying to get, like, a... <laughs> unless you're trying to get, like, a bokeh effect on your uh <laughs> on your on your instagram uh photo yes <laughs> sorry <Yeah. laughs> but i i don't know i don't even know how to set the focus manually on my phone no i don't i yeah, yeah. i'm sure you can but yeah i don't i don't even know if you why can. would you want to i don't know so you can get a, a bokeh effect <laughs> that's right yeah of course you just said <laughs> but uh yeah I, yeah i don't know um so anyway uh so you have to keep uh your subject in focus generally and yeah and as they are moving through the air you need to set the focus differently because they're going to be at a different distance right yeah he, he, the distance he travels is going to move out of focus and because he's moving so quickly like the entire fall i think took like two seconds well less than two seconds wow no human camera operator can track that none that you've met <laughs> I don't know. Like, how quickly do you do you think you could keep a man perfectly in focus over a range of twenty to seventy feet? Fastest <laughs> like focus fingers in the southwest. Well, could yeah, do it. I don't know. Um, I'm just imagining like a camera operator with like uh, holsters, like pulling it really fast, pulling like, the focus in like, like a, yeah. a standoff. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Colin. So I don't know. They may exist, but they definitely couldn't find one. That would be such a great standoff if you like have two two photographers that like go ten paces and then you draw and whoever then you develop it and whoever has like the better more in focus like well framed photograph wins. <laughs> that would be so sick. I guess yeah. I don't know. Um, that would be awesome. So so they couldn't have really used autofocus because I mean I guess they kind of did but autofocus basically was unheard of in 1986 and even then like I don't know if you've like I have a lot of troubles with autofocus, so like I can't imagine that autofocus would have been able to keep like uh, anything in focus. It's really not that fast. In fact, it's a lot slower than a human camera operator in many cases. Yeah. So, how the fuck do they do that? Then? So, they made this. I guess it. This is kind of autofocus, but I mean, focusing automatically. It, it's it automatically does? focusing, but it's it was more complicated than that. So. They came up with a system to be able to track the speed at which uh, Alan Rickman was falling. I'm not exactly right. sure how they did that. Um, whether or not there actually had yeah. some kind of tracker on on uh, on him, or if they like, if they just like estimated, yeah, or if or they something? modeled like based on his like uh, his weight and like the distance that they were falling, like how fast he would accelerate yeah. Yeah. so somehow they programmed this into a computerized system that would automatically 
pull the focus. So I guess it's kind of like autofocus, but it was like specifically designed just to do that shot. Right. It's an autofocus that would not work in any other It would not work in any other... Like, you couldn't just use it generally because it specifically was supposed to track his fall speed and keep in focus and, and pull the focus of the camera really, really quickly so that he could be in focus throughout the whole shot. Right, and so it's full title. Regular autofocus is just automatic focus. That's the full title. But the full title of this focus is automatic focus on Alan Rickman as he falls from Fox Plaza. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, this was also shot at, at 270 FPS, which is incredibly fast. Wow. That's quite fast, just, yeah. Like, just imagine doing that with a film camera, with the film moving that quickly. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> uh, and so that was so that they could sh- they could slow down the shot like about ten times, just over ten times. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. So that that made the whole shot. I don't know. I don't know how long that would have taken, but it, it made the shot a whole lot longer so that they could use it, and it was in slow motion. A few seconds, at least. Yeah. yeah. And, and and you get that you get all the all the mileage you can get out of Alan Rickman's reaction. Yeah. Yeah, and so even after all the stuff that they did, they actually still needed to cut the thing short because I think he went out of focus at a certain point. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's impressive that they even kept him in focus for yeah. that long. To the other honest. thing I was thinking is, like, but... he there's a blue thing at the bottom, right, that they want to yeah. they want to take it out. But, like, once Eventually... he hits it, like, it's going to it's gonna deform, Below right? around him. And, yeah. and, and shadows yeah, and that, stuff. That, that might affect it. But I guess, you know, you probably would have wanted to cut before that anyway. Yeah, they definitely cut before he hit it. Yeah, because that so would maybe... look really weird. <laughs> Is if he just kind of stopped moving look... for no reason. Just <laughs> and like then bounced a little bit. <laughs> that would be really weird. I'd love to see that, though. Yeah, I'd like to see the whole shot, you know? Yeah. I wonder if maybe there's some behind the scenes footage of this movie. Yeah, well I actually I did find a, a photo of the uh the whole contraption that they used. Yeah, I, 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 I was unable to estimate whether or not it was thirty sorry, twenty or seventy feet. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. Yeah. Well did you you couldn't see both ends or something? No, no, it's just like there were no people in there, so I couldn't tell how big it was. Right, no perspective. Yeah, I couldn't I right. couldn't tell how big it was. Uh gotcha. So yeah, that that was a that was a particularly interesting stunt. Um, are there any yeah. other stunts we want to talk about? Uh, not that I can think of. Okay, I mean, I suppose they they totaled some cars, but you know that's yes. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of explosions and stuff. Um, like, I'm not sure how they could have gotten away without damaging the building, but yeah, I maybe well, they did. so apparently, um, more most of the explosions were not explosions per se. Okay. So they were more like flamethrowers. <laughs> right, gotcha. Yeah, because an actual explosion doesn't look as good on camera. Yeah, usually there's not that much flame in an explosion. <laughs> well, there's like generally like no flame really. It's just like all of It's usually just a lot center, of dust and then and, there's you know stuff. Shockwave is the more Yeah, shockwaves and stuff. Um but yeah, apparently they had these uh these propane cannons uh <laughs> which would uh Offer a six-second burst of flame. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We should get some of those. I don't know. They sound really dangerous. 
for our next film. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> or maybe we could do some reshoots and put it into our current film that's in production hell. Exactly. Um, is there anything else? Uh, all right, so uh, the final helicopter scene is somewhat interesting. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. The helicopter crashing into the lobby and him like going uh, under the pool. Yeah, so apparently... The koi pond or whatever. Uh, it took them six months of preparation, but they only... They were only able to spend two hours filming it. Jesus Christ! So this actually took this. They did this actually with a real helicopter, on top of the actual Fox Plaza, and nine camera crews uh, were filming with twenty-four different cameras. Well, this is an expensive shot. Yeah. You know, you don't have a lot of time. You want to get every fucking possible angle and shot you can. Also, I feel like it's really hard to duplicate a uh, um a, a a helicopter movement. Right, yeah, exactly. Because it's like it. normally when somebody's shooting you a film, get films are angles. normally shot with one camera at a time. Mm-hmm. And and most of the reason for this is so that you don't get you don't get a camera showing up in the shot that another camera is shooting. Yeah. So um, what they do is they'll often they'll act the scene twice, right? From different angles. From different angles, yeah. right? Yep. So, yeah, that's why 20, 24 cameras is a lot. <laughs> but a presumably lot. the reason why they needed that was because they they couldn't do the exact same helicopter flight twice. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen a helicopter hover? It doesn't stay in the exact same spot. No, it's, it's not... Not... As graceful as a hummingbird. No, exactly. Or a butterfly. <laughs> so, but uh, another interesting thing with the helicopter is that um, this uh, movie started filming um, after Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was reading about that. Yeah, so there was an infamous helicopter crash that killed three actors while filming the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. So. And that was 1983, I believe. Yeah. So uh, there was a huge like um, lawsuit, obviously, that came out of that, mm. and it really changed like Hollywood's um, perspective on stunt work for the better. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously they were more careful, but I- I'm sure a lot of actors were really afraid to do shit after that. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah. Bruce Willis though. Um, the... No. Well, the article I was reading was that, like, it was, um, uh, they, they were putting the, um, they, they had to, the, 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 the goal of the suit that they brought forward was, like, to change Hollywood to stop putting, um, the, like, budget ahead of the actors. Mm, right. So that safety should be the priority, not cash. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Not budget. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is shocking that it took till 1983 for that. Yeah, to exactly. <laughs> in any meaningful way, yeah. but there you have it. Yeah. Um. Oh, I found some more details about the 30th floor. Oh, more details about the 30th floor. You said. So the 30th floor was where the hostages are held. Oh, that's the set. Yes. Gotcha. That makes the more sense. Yes, exactly. Because that's got like all the logos and the uh. That's the fake company. Yes, exactly. Right, yeah, floor 30. Oh, yeah, because th- they mentioned, oh, they're on the 30th floor. 
There's nobody else yeah. in the building. <laughs> right. So that's right. Yeah. Okay. I see. I wonder if someone listening was heard that earlier. And they were like, like God damn it. You like, you know the 30th floor is where they had the hostages. <laughs> they said. They said. Yeah. Uh, sorry if you are that person. Yeah. Uh, we gave you closure eventually, though. Yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anything else for the production? Uh, or should we slide along? I suppose. Well, I mean, that's all I really had to say about that, I guess. That's all I have Sorry. to say about that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it's like the third time you've done that. What? That's all I had to say you about that? You did that, that last... Recorded for us without even doing... Too. Was it the same quote? Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Right. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. We'll do that one day. Yeah, one day. Like, when I have eight weeks to prepare for it. Yeah. Three-parter. Like, we're doing... we're Yeah, we're doing some investigative research. Yeah, we'll have to do so much about the truth. You'll learn about the real Horace Gump. Yes. (laughs) All right. So, um, I suppose we have another another segment coming up here. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it's, it, um, what kind of segment is this? It's accurate. It's accurate. Is it? Is it really accurate? Some some say some, some could some make that argument. It could be accurate. Uh, yeah. So, is this a segment that is not false? It is not false. What do you call something that's not false? Do you call it? What do you call it? Do you call it? <laughs> So do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Um, promise is a strong word. Yeah, this is a weak commitment here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say I'm gonna do my best. Okay, I see. No, okay. So what I'm doing here is I'm gonna. This is I'm relating, relating. That's it. Okay. Um. So I, this segment is, is 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 totally ripped off from a piece by Michael Gowroey. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've never seen a name like that before in my life. Gowroey. Um, and uh, it's stolen from Cracked.com. Okay. But I came across it, and it's a marvelous theory, so I had to share it with the class. Okay, sure. Um, so, so we're just going to explore this theory. Um, from Cracked. Um, so, uh, you're familiar with the actor Reginald Vell Johnson, yes? I believe he's in this movie. You recall the role he played? Uh, I believe he plays Al the Cop. He does play Al the Cop. Um, so, Reginald Vell Johnson's probably best known for this role, but... A close second, um, if not first for a lot of people, would be his role as the dad on Family Matters. Okay. Um, I never watched that much Family Matters. So. Yeah, me neither, really. But, uh, you know. 
doesn't mean a lot to me, but yeah, it might sure, to some sure people. It does to some people. But anyway, this theory um, uh, outlines like the fact that if you look at, at um, Reginald Vell Johnson's career, um, he's got he plays a lot of cops. Okay. Um, like he plays the prison guard in Ghostbusters. Um. Which also funny also has the 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 um, reporter in it. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Walter true. Peck. Yeah. This man has no dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Reginald Vell Johnson. So he's in Ghostbusters. He's the prison guard. Mm-hmm. Um, he also plays a policeman at the courthouse in Co- in the Kojak TV movie Captain Graph. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, in the in a Kojak TV movie. He also plays Captain Graf in a 1987 film, Plain Clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, there's Die Hard. But then also, in 1989, he was in Perfect Strangers um, as Carl Winslow. And Carl Winslow is is the role from Family Matters. Oh, okay, I see. So he reprised the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so the... The theory here that's put forward by this this author is that all these police officers are in fact the same person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um this is what they say. This is their thesis here. Here's a question that might get a little mind fucky. What if all those officers weren't different characters? What if Reginald Vell Johnson was playing the same hapless character over and over, creating the most mentally disturbed police officer ever, (laughs) all stemming from the trauma of an accidental shooting and his knowledge of the paranormal and life after death? All right. That's uh... It's an excellent theory, and I really commend its creator. creator. Okay. Would you you care to to detail the details of this theory? Yeah, so it starts in 1984. Okay. Um, Ghostbusters. Um, he's he the his character, the prison guard. He escorts four scientists to the mayor's office. Um, you know, because the whole island's going crazy. As you'll recall, in Ghostbusters, or if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, um, in which case, turn off this podcast right now and go watch it. Um, there's the scene in the prison. Where Egon explains with the Twinkie. So, but as we know, Twinkies factor in this film as well. Yeah, so that's a little connection here. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> the 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 theory here is that, um, is that the the prison guard overheard them talking about the Sumerian god showing up to destroy humankind, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know that's gonna really mess him up he's got this back background information you know he understands a bit about about the paranormal Mm -hmm. uh quote unquote thus begins powell's long and deranged obsession with the twinkie the twinkie (laughs) that over time comes to represent evil and badness in his mind the twinkie is where horror comes from the twinkie must be contained (laughs) so then next in their timeline so after 1984 um then Powell moves to L.A. Okay. Um, L.A. where Die Hard and takes he, place. Where Die Hard takes place. And he starts eating a lot of Twinkies. Right. Um, he has a mental breakdown, so he leaves New York. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> Tries to go out west where the weather's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so then obviously yes, as you mentioned, there's a Twinkie scene in in Die Hard, f- further uh, 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 establishing this Twinkie connection. But then in Die Hard Two, um, there's a cameo where he's sitting at his desk and his desk is covered in Twinkies. Right. Um, as he takes a call from McLean. Right. I, so I believe um, I believe he says that the Twinkies are for his wife in the film, right? So he says. I mean, we all know that's never not actually, true. <laughs> we never see this so-called wife. Right. She's never on screen. He's just making it up. That's what he says it to everybody. Um. So after this, uh, this <laughs> Die Hard Two appearance of the Twinkie, um, this is another quote. Uh, in his mind, the Twinkie connection, and also the obvious junk food connection of NYC being attacked by a junk food mascot is the cause of paranormal destruction. He is unconsciously trying to prevent it by eating as many as he can. <laughs> okay. So it's getting going a little bit off the rails here. Yeah. Um, so, so shaken is Powell by his experience in New York that he ends up shooting a child in the line of duty. So this, this is the when we're at the character of Die Hard now, yeah. obviously. So then he shoots Carl, which changes everything. Right. Uh... Okay, so the theory here, basically what I'm getting at, what they're trying to get at here, which is just really roundabout and poorly written sentence here, is that he's re-traumatized from this incident. Um, But this incident causes him to snap. Um, Okay, shooting Carl. Yeah. Okay. Um, Unable to find peace on either coast, Sergeant Al Powell recedes deeper into his own mind and creates a safe place in between his two tragic events. He imagines himself a family man in Chicago, still a cop, but one where his duties never interfere with a solid, loving home life. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the theory here is that... Is that Family Matters is a... It's a delusion. It's Al Powell's Twinkie delusion after shooting Carl. Okay. So there you have it. <laughs> so the whole thing is in his mind. The family That's matters. I think what they're getting at. Okay. Yeah. This article does go on and on. So if you're are curious, maybe I'll link it. Yeah, in. we'll we'll, we'll have it on the to, website we'll or have to Facebook it, yeah. or something. Right. Uh, so what does Steve Urkel manifest in <laughs> what does he represent um, in this fantasy <laughs> Urkel represents his hidden guilt okay I see <laughs> right everything works out for him until his hidden guilt comes looking for him in the, thir- in the form of a 13 year old boy named Steve Steve Urkel. Right, okay. Urkel has no appeal whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It goes on to just describe Urkel. Right, okay. It says, Urkel's a manifestation of Al Powell's guilt, his own personal devil. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, (laughs) there you have it. Yeah. The demons of Al Powell. Yeah. Go far beyond Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, so yeah, I will say that, like, I have not watched much family matters but i do have the character of steve urkel burned into my mind yeah the did i do that is 
just seared into my cochleas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 our uh that's that's the truth. Our quick dash holiday truth episode. Holiday, yeah, I guess. That, <laughs> right, I forgot this is the holiday episode. <laughs> yeah, it, holiday in the sense that it's it's a one part episode. Yeah, it, it was an episode that we did very at the not the last minute, but close to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Yeah, a timely. It's, it's our timely episode. Perfect. It's, it's not our rushed, perfectly it's timed. Yeah, it's perfectly timed. Exactly. Well, <laughs> um, well done. Speaking of perfectly timed, uh, it's time for me to make a segue into our next section. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's our next section? What did you think of my segue? It was all right. <laughs> I don't get. You don't get what? I don't get how perfectly timed has, has specifically to do with the next segment. But the segue oh, was. Oh, the segue is perfectly timed. I see. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I just missed yeah. that. I'm sorry. It was a meta segue. So let's let's without further ado, let's just go straight into our next segment. <laughs> it is once again time to welcome you all to a little segment we like to call Six Degrees of Star Trek. This is a segment where we trace all the connections, or at least three of them. <laughs> at very least. At the very least, three connections between this film and the Star Trek collection of star trek universe things. well i don't want to say star trek universe because yeah. that would imply that right because like, we don't count we don't count the books yeah but that would also mean that we don't count like you know um so like i just want to say that we do count uh the jj abrams movies okay i don't know if we've had right i see yet. what you're saying so because they do take place i guess in a different star trek universe right yeah in an alternate right, yeah. timeline at least so that's a yeah that the universe is a bit too um uh, Star Trek multiverse, let's say, because there are mirror universes you as well. Yeah, there you go. So I, I will call it the Star Trek multiverse. Because even unwritten Star Trek technically exists in the multiverse. I guess. I guess it does. That's, that's a reach. Anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, it's a reach, must, much like uh, most of the connections I have today. Ah, oh, sick fucking segue. <laughs> So, starting off, we have the one and only direct connection that I was able to find. What's that? Well, so this is actually um, fairly, I wouldn't say tenuous, but this is, you know, not one of the most exciting connections I could have come up with. Okay. So, uh, we have William Aldridge who is a man you've probably never heard of because he was the it's correct. special effects foreman, I believe, on Die Hard. <laughs> I don't know what that entails exactly, but... Uh, special effects foreman. So not the director. No. Of special effects, the foreman. I'm, so I guess, I don't know, what does a regular foreman do? Well, they're like, like in organized job or, sites? Uh, uh, the special effects foreman so, is... The coordinator 
is also referred to as the special effects coordinator or supervisor oversees the design of mechanical effects used to create non-digital optical illusions. So right. physical effects like explosions and shit like that. Gotcha. So basically anything that's not done on a computer or done yeah. electronically because that would be visual effects. Right. I guess. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, so he was the, uh, special effects foreman, I believe on Die Hard. And he also, uh, now this is important that I mentioned earlier that we are counting the J.J. movies. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you mentioned, yes. Good thing well I mentioned done. that. Uh, he was the, spe- also the special effects foreman on the 2009 Star Trek reboot. I really like that movie when it came out. I don't, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, I've seen it a yeah, number of times. It's, we'll have I'm this not, conversation off air because uh, because I'm sure we could have this conversation for hours. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and so he was also the pyro four person. I that's how they list what? it. He, foreman, but I suppose it's uh, inclusive. Oh right, right, yeah. right, right. An inc- yeah. a better term. Yeah, um, four person. Yes. So he was the pyro four person on Star Trek Into Darkness as well. That's pretty cool. So I suppose he supervised all the fire effects, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Or pyrotechnics in general. So yeah. Uh, special effects guy was in... Did this movie and also was involved in multiple... Two Star Trek Star movies. Trek media enterprises. That's a one degree. That's a one degree. And that's not nothing. Like, there's a lot of explosions in both movies. There is. That's like... Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Like, I wonder if his style is evident. I, wonder I don't if know. Are, like, like, I feel like being a discernible style. they don't usually have, like, discernible styles. Because, I mean, like, uh, they just kind of... Because I feel like it's more of just, like, uh, particularly that, that's more of, like, a, your your contribution is, like, in the in the how of doing something, not in the what. Right. So, like, not you don't what, decide yeah. what gets into the movie. They say they want this done, and you had to figure out how to do and it. And you just do it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, not really a lot of liberty to be taken with. Yeah, I mean, there's liberty to be taken with like how you achieve the effect, because like you know. Yeah. But I mean, exactly. in terms of style, I don't, I don't think there's that you know it's much. Like we need a impressive. an explosion to come out of the yeah, side so of this if, building, if, and we want it to be long. Yeah. And... So if somebody who is a special effects foreman wants to argue with me, uh about how much contribution you have uh i i welcome the yes uh, please tell us what kind of uh, yes please stylistic choices you've made because i'd be very interested here actually yeah absolutely um so but anyway crane kick commentaries at gmail.com yeah, give us an email at gmail.com uh so the next connection we have is a is a non-direct connection it's a two-step an old two-step okay yeah, so we have Bruce Willis. Actually, both of these okay. next two steps are both uh, the lead actors, I guess. Uh, we have uh, Bruce Willis was in a was was in an animated film called Over the Hedge in two thousand and six. Oh yeah, I remember it well. I I don't I don't know if I've ever ever seen this movie. What was it about? Um, it's about a bunch of, so there's this, uh, f- like feisty rascally raccoon right. who pisses off a bear. Right. Um, 
And then he befriends a bunch of like smaller woodland creatures. And essentially he manipulates the smaller woodland creatures into going over a hedge into suburbia in order to uh, steal a bunch of food to give to this bear. Okay. So he, but along the way, he befriends all these all these woodland creatures okay. and starts to feel bad about movie. betraying them. <laughs> <laughs> Saturn Award for best animated film. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. So that was uh, 2006. 2006, yeah. So mm. well, 2007 Saturn Awards. Right, right, right. So yeah, the film came out in 2006 and also included uh, William Shatner. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was... Wait, I bet I can remember who he played. Okay. William Shatner. No, who was he? Well, he played somebody named Ozzy. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. He was a, he was a, po- a possum. Oh, okay. I see. And I think Avril Lavigne played his daughter. Yes, Avril Lavigne is in this... Uh, oh! Uh, oh wait, no that ep- th- that episode hasn't come out yet. But well, actually, we have a lot of people in this movie that we've mentioned before. Oh really? So, uh, well, Gary Shandling is in this movie, who we vaguely mentioned before. Uh, yeah. Eugene Levy. Yeah. And obviously Bruce Willis. <laughs> anyway, There's... tell me the connection. What William Shatner's in it? Oh, fuck. William Shatner. If 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 anybody didn't know, is Captain Kirk in in. <laughs> Star Trek the original series, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I think several movies yeah, as well. exactly. So I, I thought that that was evident. You thought that was a good enough connection? Yeah, maybe yeah. that's that's um, pretty good, yeah. Yeah, so... You thought the original Captain yeah, of the, the Enterprise original Captain. was good enough? <laughs> well, the Enterprise would be good enough, but no. So we also have Alan Rickman. Um, Fuck yeah. And so just... Honorable mention uh, is that he's also in Galaxy Quest. Ah, yes, I was. Which is not the connection. You would bring that up, but because uh, I don't actually think there's anybody from Star Trek it. in that movie. No, not directly. No. It's make, it's, it's very clearly it, making fun of Star Trek, but it's an excellent I don't, homage. I don't think any connections. Uh, no. Not that I can see. Anyway, I didn't. I didn't see. But he is in a movie from 2008 called Bottle Shock with Chris Pine. Oh, yeah. And Chris Another Pine. Another good thing you mentioned that universe thing. Yeah, good thing I mentioned this universe thing because obviously Chris Pine also plays Captain Kirk, but in the yeah. uh, in the J.J. Abrams movies, which are uh, that's so weird. in their own timeline, alternate timeline. Yeah, in a different, different universe. Well, it's um, the same universe. I guess it's just a different timeline. I don't know. Well, yeah, because... It starts in the same universe. Yeah, because also they have Spock from like Prime timeline. That then. Yeah. I don't know. It's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. It's like the way that they've had it. Because now with Star Trek Picard, they kind of like you know. Brought the two of them together a little bit. So sort of like you know how Romulus blows up. Yeah. Romulus is blown up in Star Trek Picard. Gotcha. So I'm saying like, they. They really weirdly, like, you know, made it so that it's definitely a thing that affected the prime timeline, but they're completely different timelines, and they don't affect each other. You know what I mean? It's really weird. Yeah, it's confusing as hell. Yeah, you know, I don't Which know. Which tracks, definitely. I don't think that they really needed to try hard at all to try to make it work, but, I mean, I guess they thought, you know, having Romulus being blown up would be an interesting plot point. 
Yeah. So I guess yeah, that's why I they guess. went with it, but you know. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So our our two lead actors both are, traced to Kirk in some way. Both traced to Kirk, but different Kirks. Yeah, different Kirks. Exactly. Which is, yeah, appropriate. So yeah, those are the three connections that I found. Um, there may be more. Uh, did not have time to uh, really. Uh, they're only going to get but... more tenuous after that. So yeah, usually they tend to get more tenuous. Uh, but I probably could have found one. So, I was kind of surprised to find out that Alan Rickman and um, Alan Rickman has never been in anything with Patrick Stewart, which blew my mind because they just seem like they should be in the same movie. I don't know why. Yeah, that is. <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah. Well, they're both there because they're both that like you know. Grand they both come from the same school of acting. Actor. Yeah. Yeah, and they're both British. And I guess yeah, vaguely exactly. similar ages. So yeah, anyway, so I thought that they would have been like in a movie, but I could not find one. Yeah, that does actually kind of surprise me. Yeah. And boy, I looked. Because <laughs> I really wanted that to be the connection, but I couldn't get it done. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's that's what I got. What do we got next? Yeah, we got to uh, just move good. ahead to uh, final thoughts. Yeah, well, it's time to close our Christmas episode out. Close our Christmas episode well, out. Not Although Christmas, we're not, sorry. Well, holiday episode, but... It's a holiday episode about a Christmas movie. Yes, yes. Uh, we try to be inclusive on Cranky Commentaries, I think. Yes. 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 Um, we're, I mean, we are closing out the episode, but we're also probably nowhere near the end because we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I mean, first we should just, like, probably get out of the way before we, like, really get into this. Like, there is a little bit of problematic shit in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Like, specifically we... to do with, like, police violence. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, that, the police violence stuff did not age well. It's like, yeah. do you want to just explain specifically? Well, so the first... I mean, I'm sure everyone watching it probably caught. Yeah, you, it, it's probably about, pretty but... obvious, but, you know. Um, the first thing is just obviously the line uh, that uh, Bruce Willis gives where he's like, you know. Uh... Well, okay, so he's talking to the, he's, he's like, fighting with one of the terrorists and uh yeah the first guy he encounters he's Theo fighting that something guy like that. something I'm like sure. that he's the guy that gets killed when he falls downstairs uh yeah and he's like you know he yeah he's got the i guess he's got the gun up against him and he's like you know you wouldn't kill me you're a policeman and there are rules for policemen <laughs> yeah policemen have rules <laughs> yeah and then uh bruce willis responds with uh you know, that's what my captain is always telling me. And then he, like, throws me against the ground or something like that. Yeah, like, like punches ooh, him in the geez. face. Yeah, that's like, like yeah. You know, we, we, yeah, shouldn't, like, we shouldn't be, you know, glorifying, like, you know, <laughs> cops who yeah. uh, bend the rules don't like that. Don't follow the rules. Yeah, we don't want cops who don't listen to their captains. Yeah, when they tell, tell them, them not, not to, like, to brutalize, brutalize yeah, exactly. people. So that's it's one thing. a fun uh, attribute. But, I mean, obviously the most obvious thing would be just the entire character of Al, the, his entire arc. Yeah, his, like, redemption arc is... <laughs> yeah, so I shot a kid, and now I feel bad about it, so now I'm working behind a desk. But, you know... Yeah, you know my arc should be that I learn how to shoot people again. It's like, yeah, thank God so I don't have to, to shoot a guy bad again. About having shot a kid, Jesus fucking <laughs> Christ! 
Yes. It's <laughs> like, Jesus. Oh, that that like, is, yeah. It would have been better if they had given no backstory about the kid that he shot, you know? Oh, because, they, uh, they yeah, they explicitly basically say that he was innocent. He wasn't doing anything. He was just standing around and looking sketchy, essentially. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, he Jesus. was looking, he, he had a toy gun that looked real. Yeah, it's like, and you should be shooting people yeah. as soon as you see a gun. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's a kid. Yeah, I know. Like that whole situation is 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 bad, and it's just like well, and it's just obviously it's something we... that they clearly didn't even like think about a lot. Like, yeah, and I don't want to like absolve them of any like you know um, thing, but it was it was not something that was in the public consciousness so much as it is now. No. No, and I mean, there, but there also is like the life imitates art, art imitates exactly. thing, where it's like, exactly. this is part of the reason why that culture is such a thing as movies like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and jokes about that. And yeah, so I hope, I seriously hope that, you know, that, uh, that kind of um, portrayal in Hollywood is over, but, you know, who knows really. Yeah, um, hopefully. Yeah. Okay, so that's the problematic part, specifically the bits that I noticed around, um, you know, police violence. Basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and there's like 80s movies, always a bit of toxic masculinity, but... Yeah, definitely. You're looking back at time, so... Weird. Anyway, yeah. doesn't matter, move I on. I guess you're going to get that, but... Yeah. Although, actually... <laughs> <laughs> okay. This movie is probably not that bad in terms of toxic masculinity compared to the other movies in the eighties. No, it's definitely not one of the worst ones. I think. And then there's that whole bit where he's got to like you know share his feelings with Al over the over the. Uh... Yeah, it's right. Yeah, that's right. So I guess he there's his like feelings. To a certain extent, I don't know. It cuts both ways, but I don't know because he's less of an invincible like kind of hero. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is like, you know, your Arnold Schwarzenegger type is like. Although they did ask Arnold (laughs) if he wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I wonder how much of this is because like how much of this was deliberate and how much of this was just because of like, you know. Who Bruce Willis is slash was at the time. Yeah. How like the actor that they ended up getting and how, he you know, just ended up being in the role, right? First of all, he's How? not like a bodybuilder like Arnold yeah. is. But so as I think you say, I think I, I mentioned to you this after I watched the movie where I said like you know compared to like any like modern Hollywood star, Bruce Willis has a total dad bod. Yeah, yeah, he 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 looks practically doughy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like he's in fine shape, but like you know, yeah, he is. Like That's that like would not cut it show. in a modern film, you know? What I'm oh, not even close. Like, um, yeah. A Not that it shouldn't, action. but I'm just saying, like, you know, that's just no, the way it Hollywood just goes works. to show how, like, out Sorry? of whack our it just goes to show how out of whack our standards have become. It, it, exactly, yeah. That that like, Bruce Willis, who is in very good shape in this movie, is just like you know, modern he, day. He would be he, the yeah. def, the before picture. With, yeah, he would be uh, the before picture. Yeah, with like uh, Chris Hemsworth or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It 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 definitely changed the like direction of action movies, um, like the face of it going forward because it, there are obviously it's not the first one but it, it was such a big high profile successful 
film that like has a fallible action hero who's like yeah not definitely perfect he's not like an like, invincible Schwarzenegger type exactly he's not invincible his feet get cut up he's yeah. like a bad husband and we'll talk about the like, feet later he's very okay. <laughs> in, a, in a moment yeah well his feet get cut up he's a bad husband and he like admits that to Al as you said yeah. in his like emotional moment so like he's uh he's an everyman he's like a relatable action hero exactly which is kind of a newer breed yeah for that era mm-hmm. so what was that about the feet you were saying <laughs> yeah well i just want to I, I just want to point out because like this is something that we kind of mentioned earlier is that like this movie doesn't get enough credit for like uh just being really really well put together you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. like you know it's it it's a classic action movie but a lot of people don't give it enough credit for being like a good film, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Quote, like, unquote. Uh, but, like, The Feet, I think, is just such a good example of the attention to detail in the writing. Exactly, yeah. Because where that's... it's like, because everything in, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie pays off. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, all the dialogue in the beginning is meaningful later. Exactly. And it's, there's nothing that's just kind of haphazardly in there, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's so not like, just none to of use the away. feet as an example, right? Yeah. So he gets his feet cut when the window gets blown out, right? Yeah. Why does he get his feet cut? Because he's not wearing any shoes. Yeah. Why isn't he wearing any shoes? Because he took his shoes off earlier at uh, at Nakatomi, right? Yeah. Why is that? Why because. Because of the air travel, because somebody told him the secret to surviving air travel was to, to take your shoes off and make yeah. fists with your toes. Yeah, fists with your toes. Oh. Is that what he said? Fists with your toes? Yeah. Yeah, make fists with your toes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's such a it's such a minor detail. It's just, because uh, you think that it's just, oh, this is some annoying guy on the plane saying some shit, but then it yeah, like, exactly. comes up later. Yeah. And then not only does it come up later, but then it comes up again that it matters why it came up because that's he wasn't wearing shoes. Yeah, exactly. The shoot um, the windows. So it's yeah, so it's like the whole movie is like three steps ahead of you, you know what I'm saying? So but another example of that is the watch. The watch? The Rolex. Right, yeah. So you know how um you know they have so she um he hears about the watch, right? Uh, because the Nakatomi Corporation gave gave uh, Holly a watch. Uh, yeah, the it's Rolex. Rolex. It's a Rolex. And that guy and who reminds Ellis, me a Ellis lot of really wanted, Strathus. Really Sorry, Stathis. The, the guy who reminds me of Stathis. <laughs> I know he reminds me of Stathis Boris exactly. <laughs> um, He's the same character, same so, archetype. Yeah, he gets killed. Well, no, actually, Stathis Boris doesn't die. No, he doesn't die. But Ellis does. Ellis does, yes. Thankfully. Stathis Borens would have died if he was there. He would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway. Yeah. Ellis so, is the worst. Um, so, anyway, so the, they bring up the watch, right? And then, yeah. so it's kind of like, it's like a point of like, you know, friction, I guess. It's like, you know, look at this. Look at this nice watch. You know, you didn't give her that yeah, watch. Yeah, she's, she's successful. She's successful, right? And she didn't need you, mm. right? Yeah. And then there's the... Um, where then there's the shot that we were talking about earlier where Alan Rickman is falling to his death. Yeah. 
And what was he clinging to? He's dangling from her watch band. He was dangling from her watch. Yeah. And then he unclips the watch and he falls to his death. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot that going on there. Yeah, exactly. What does the watch represent? I'm not exactly sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. That's, that's not really our forte. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Our forte is talking about the fact that the watch was mentioned three times beforehand. Exactly. The the, the watch. Yeah, exactly. So they, they set it all up, right? Yeah. That's cool. That's so, yeah. yeah, you're you're totally right. That is that is why it is like actually a good film as opposed to just a good action movie. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I mean it 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 suffers by the fact that uh Bruce Willis isn't the most dynamic actor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. So that that probably diminishes from that like its status as a good film a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. But, also, just because of the genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I like, I think you know, a lot of you know, serious critics would probably just dismiss an action movie out of hand, or not, not necessarily dismiss it, but just not give it the attention necessarily. Yeah, like let's see, I, what did? Or I, I think uh, Roger Ebert specifically said some things. Oh yeah, that's what I also want to talk about because um, I think he Roger Ebert mentioned the Paul Gleason's character. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, which I totally agreed with his uh, his analysis. Not entirely, actually, not totally, but okay. Let's see. So this is he, a review he did from 1988. Um, what did he give it? He gave it two stars. Ooh. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, jeez, Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy I don't now. agree with a lot. I don't agree with a lot of what he ha- his opinions necessarily, but yeah, I don't know. He has he has some interesting uh, um, thoughts a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I, um, so he does mention actually that on a technical level, there's a lot to be said about Die Hard. A lot to be said for Die Hard. <laughs> Which is kind of what I was getting at with all the little yeah. details that they they work in and then bring up later. Yeah. But his problem, one of his major problems was with the, uh, the, um, what was it? Deputy commissioner. So Paul Gleason's character. Yeah. So, uh, he says, uh, there's on a technical level, there's a lot to be said for die hard. Uh, it's when we get some of the unnecessary adornments to the script that the movie shoots itself in the foot. Willis remains uh, in constant radio contact with a police officer on the ground, Reginald Bell Johnson, uh, who tries to keep his morale up. But then the filmmakers introduce a gratuitous and unnecessary additional character, the deputy police chief, Paul Gleason, the man with no dick. <laughs> no, no, that's... No, uh, no, 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 no. Never mind. Sorry, I confused the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Is that guy also a useless character? No, he's a bit more useless because he goes um, and interviews the kids, which is how uh, Hans finds out that um, Holly McLean is in the building. So, as nearly as I can tell, the deputy police chief is in the movie for only one purpose, to be consistently wrong at every step of the way and to provide a phony counterpoint to Willis' progress. 
The character exactly. is so willfully useless, so dumb, so much a product of the idiot plot syndrome that he himself successfully undermines the last half of the movie. Thrillers like <laughs> this need to be well-oiled machines with not a single wasted moment. Inappropriate, wrong-headed interruptions reveal the fragile nature of the plot and prevent it from working. Okay, I I think that that's a bit... Uh, I, I don't want to accuse Roger Ebert of over-analyzing a film. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I mean, I think yeah, he, he maybe puts too much focus on that. I don't know. I don't think that... Yeah, I agree. I don't think it ruined the film or anything, but I do no, agree like... that it's like, it's... He is a totally, like, useless character, and his counterpoint does, like... Well, his purpose is, as as as, as Roger was saying, to... Uh, as a counterpoint, to... but... Yeah, as a counterpoint to Bruce Willis, right? But he has no reasons. He's just... He's just, like dumb but only in the ways that like aid the plot right, progressing okay. in the way that it was written mm-hmm. it's like yeah, he maybe. especially that line where it's like when uh powell is like um i know he was a cop like blah 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 mm. um and then the, the he's uh, like he Paul, could be a bartender for all i know exactly and then al is like but what about the fucking body that landed on my car and yeah. then the, the, <laughs> he's just like, oh, some stockbroker oh, yeah, probably stock got depressed. Got depressed. <laughs> and then just powers through. Like that Like that dumb joke to me was like not worth how willfully stupid it made him look, to use yeah. Roger Ebert's yeah, phrase there. Like how like yeah. willfully is just wrong. <laughs> but the other interesting thing is like that character almost like almost does like a 180 near the end when the FBI agents show up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. He does Cause he, because then he's his... like, "Oh, well, the FBI. Well, fuck those guys." You yeah, know? He, he gets usurped <laughs> by the FBI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Because well, I don't, know, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that that particular character really, you know, ruins the movie for me. But no, there's, I don't think he was an important enough character to ruin the movie. I think they could have gone. Um. They could have just cut out him and just gone straight to the FBI, you know? Yeah, possibly. Uh, or whatever. I... Anyway, I agree somewhat with Roger Ebert's analysis of that character. Yeah, I don't think it ruined yeah. the movie, though. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, in general, I think that this movie was like extremely well-paced. Yeah, I agree. Like There was not a lot of wasted stuff at all. No, it's a two-hour movie that feels like uh, an hour 30. Yeah, exactly. Oh shit, it's two hours. Yeah, yes, yeah. You know, much like this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, I just want to reiterate. Uh, you know, once again, pretty underrated from a filmmaking standpoint. Also, fantastic performances for the most part. Uh, for the most like, part, like I, I, I do think that you know Bruce Willis actually does a fantastic job with the character. I think he's, he was the right casting choice in the end. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I don't I think feel he... like a lot of that comes from the fact that like, I don't know, I guess now that that character is so heavily associated with Bruce Willis, you know, it almost seems like it was destined to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, true. But like, obviously they are uh, difficult to disentangle. Yes. And Alan Rickman is fantastic, but obviously 
once again, probably, uh, you know, Bruce Willis doesn't get necessarily a lot of credit because it's not an actor with a little bit more panache. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I would definitely not say that he was bad, um, at all. I would just say that like, uh, there just wasn't a lot to go off of with his character a lot of the time. Right. Like, like he just didn't give me a lot. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. I don't know. This film is definitely like, it's, there's a duality, right? There's, whoops, there's, um, there's the just straight action film and then there's the, like, hidden good movie, as you're saying. And the parts of the hidden good movie are, like, the pacing, the script, um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you, if you had a lead actor as good as Alan Rickman was, I think this film could be, like, elevated to a whole other level of like status i think it had that potential would you care to throw out a name um paul newman (laughs) paul newman yeah maybe maybe it'd be be interesting to see the version of this movie with paul Um, newman no no i i don't know i don't i don't know who (laughs) would have done better because as you say it is difficult to fucking disentangle the it's difficult to separate the character from bruce willis because he's so heavily associated exactly so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there's what I would have done differently, but it's an observation I have, all right. And let's 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 before we finish this podcast, let's throw in some uh some hard numbers here because you know we love numbers some, and data on the Cranky Commentary some podcast. Cinemetrics? Yeah, let's let's do some cinematrics for the first time here. Actually, we <laughs> oh yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't done one of those yet, and we've always been saying that we were going surprise. to surprise. Yeah, surprise cinematrics. Surprise segment. cinematrics. Actually, we don't have a theme song for this. Can you, will you be able to find one? We'll use something from Moneyball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> okay, hardcore data we have here. Okay, so we mentioned earlier is. Die Hard Christmas movie. Yes. Well, uh, YouGov did a poll in 2017 uh, in uh, okay. Great Britain to see. Wait, is is that correct? Let me just double check that. Just looking at these. Yeah. So they did they did a poll in the UK to see. Okay. Whether or not uh, they people consider it to be a Christmas movie, I don't have data for the U.S. right now, but uh, or Canada for that matter. Okay, but so thirty-one percent of people in the U.K. consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie. Only thirty-one. Wow, that's lower than I 51%, thought. Fifty-one percent. Sorry, fifty percent of people in the UK say uh, it is not a Christmas is not a Christmas movie what are they smoking over there 19% do not know that's crazy that's not at all what I would have thought I would have totally put those numbers reversed I can break it down by uh, by uh, 
region as well. Go on. So the the number of people who consider Die Hard a Christmas movie is highest in London. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And, and it is lowest most in the north hub. of England. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I really wish I had more data for like the rest of the world, but this is just the data set that I have. It's still pretty fun data in, set. In terms of gender, uh, there is not a huge difference here, actually. So I would have naively really? expected men to strongly more think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but that is actually not the case. 31% really? of men think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, whereas 30% of women think it's a Christmas movie. So the difference is not really statistically significant. Right, right. So it's around 30%. around thirty percent. Uh, <laughs> in terms of in That's... terms of politics, actually, this is really interesting. Okay, uh, conservatives tend to not think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, whereas damn right, I knew yeah. It. Whereas people who are more liberal think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. That's fucking hilarious. So um, I'm not I'm not oh too sure God, with uh, not too familiar with British politics, but uh, is LD Liberal Democrats? Oh, I don't know. Probably, yeah. So 39 percent of Labor supporters believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, whereas 27 percent of people who support the Tories believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. What? <laughs> Sorry. That's crazy. And 33 percent of Liberal Democrats, I suppose. In terms of age. Okay, here we go. Younger people are going to think it's more. Uh, so more only 19% of sure. people 65 plus believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Damn, yeah, that's what I thought. They're stuck in their ways. Between the ages of 50 and 65, 27% of people think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> okay. And... 27. And between the ages of 25 and 49, 36% of people believe Die Hard is a Christmas movie. There we go. And 18 to 24, it, 42% of people think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, just, just they just get more accepting the younger you go. Yeah, so to the point movie. where at um, at 40 at, at 18 to 24, the plurality of people believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> The plurality of yes. people. Uh, yeah, so that is all the uh, the data that I care to go through with you today. That's awesome. That's excellent. But yeah, I'll, I'll see if excellent. I can find more stuff like that for future episodes because that was actually fun. Yeah, that was excellent. Excellent new segment, Cinemetrics. Yeah. Um, so does that say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie or does it not? I mean, I so was more al- people al- think the... that. So okay, so more people, half of all people in the UK think that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, which is actually yeah, I believe more than Americans. So apparently, only really? a quarter of Americans believe it to be a Christmas movie. I don't have the hard data on that, but only a quarter. Yes. So even less Americans, less Americans think it's a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a Christmas movie than British people. That's so weird. Because it's, it's Die Hard is an American movie. 
Well, I mean, yeah. thinking Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not thinking Die Hard is a Christmas movie, I don't think necessarily Has nothing, says yeah, anything no. about whether or not you like Die Hard. I suppose that's true. It is actually not at all related whatsoever. <laughs> like <that's... laughs> I think you're thinking of this a little bit odd. But... Yeah, that was not. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yes, younger people are more likely to think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie um, than older people. Conservatives are more likely to think it's not a Christmas yes, where, movie. Yeah, people who lean liberal are more likely to think that it is a Christmas movie. And people in London, sense. or I guess large cities, are more likely to think that it's just a movie. Yeah, large cities, aka more liberal. Yeah, I guess. People. And generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought that that was uh, that was interesting. <laughs> That's an excellent, excellent fact. Or series of facts. So, yeah, I mean, you can put as much stock in that as you want. I know there's been a lot of questions recently about the accuracy of polling, but I think that uh, <laughs> that's a pretty big margin. So I don't I don't know if that... Uh, yeah, and when it comes to things as meaningless yeah, as Yeah, I don't this, think it particularly matters it's, that it's, much. It's more fun than anything. <laughs> exactly. Because no, no one's saying it means anything. They're just saying this percentage of people surveyed. That's exactly. fine. That's enough yeah. for me. <laughs> Oh, 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 there's one more just piece of information I need to add, which is the number of people surveyed. Lay it on me. How many uh, people? I think it was roughly 5,000 people. more than 2,000? Let me double check that. Yeah, so it was 5,457 adults. That's so uh, also it's... nobody under the age of 18 was polled. Ah, uh, well, they would be at 100%, 100% I'm sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a pretty big jump from 42 or whatever to 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So do we have anything else Anything well, else to say? Except for uh, just like to wish everybody uh, happy holidays. Yeah, happy Merry holidays. Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Uh, uh, happy Hanukkah if you celebrate that. Um, what else we got? Uh Quan- happy Kwanzaa. Crazy, uh, cra- crazy Kwanzaa. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, Diwali, is that around now? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, so it already happened. It already happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope you had a dope Diwali. I hope Diwali. you had a great Diwali. Uh, no, no, a dope Diwali. It's got to be alliterative. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh, Ramadan? We, should, we should mention that. No, that's way later. Never mind. No, Ramadan is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you searching for I'm holidays? I'm searching for holidays around... Okay. Around we the done solstice? This. We should have prepared this. Yeah, solstice holidays. Uh, yippee Kai yalda <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so Yalda, uh, if you're uh, Iranian, I suppose. Uh, yalda. yalda. Or... Zoroastrian in general, I suppose. Sorry? What is Yalda? It is a... Actually, that already happened. It happened yesterday. Oh, come on. Oh, come oh no, on. two days ago. And it'll be even more when this comes out. Anyway, so <laughs> if, if, if you celebrate a holiday that we didn't mention, uh, we're not trying to leave you out, but uh, if you want to no. send it to us, no. we'll... Uh, We'll bring in the new year wishing you that holiday. 
Absolutely. So if there was a holiday that we didn't mention, just drop us a message what it was, and then we will uh, we'll we'll add, add it to the, the list. list for the uh, for the new year. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. Well, all right. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody. for listening, everybody, and have a have a happy holidays. We really do mean that. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs> Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so